If you have a Bible nearby, I invite you to to join me in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 is our text this morning. And while you're turning there, if you have an extra finger or if you have a um, bulletin, I'd find the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, and and keep that um, open as well. We will be spending some time in, in Daniel this morning too. So, But our text this morning is Matthew chapter 13. We'll read it together and ask for God's blessing. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's good, inerrant, inspired Word. Let's pray and ask for His blessing on it. Now, Holy Spirit, You are the one who penned these words, and we cannot gain anything from them unless You give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And so we come, Lord Jesus, and humbly ask that You would be with us as we consider Your Word. We pray that You would open up to us glorious things, things that we did not expect to see, things that we could not have conjured up for ourselves. We pray that You would give us a confidence in Your Word that it is true, that it cannot be broken, that it, is, that it contains promises that are sure. And we pray, Lord, that from our time in Your Word that You would help us to love You, that You would tune our hearts to sing Your praises, not only this morning, but this next week, next month, and in the years to come. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in Your name. Amen. You may have, have seen this character that I'm about to talk about. Um, every once in a while, he comes on TV. I think it's the, um, the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Channel. Um, I grew up watching him. I don't know why. Every once in a while, I would just walk into the living room and he was on. His name is Bob Ross. He's a painter. And every once in a while, he comes on with this show. And all the show is, is Bob standing in, he's in a black room. You can't see anything else except Bob and the canvas behind him. And it starts off blank, nothing on it. Bob's kind of a, hippie-looking guy, big fro, um, Bob Ross. And all that the show is, is him painting on the canvas uh, for 30 straight minutes and explaining to you, the viewer, what he's painting. Um, And it always ends up, you know, beautiful, just a gorgeous landscape, something like that. Um, But inevitably, always, this always happens. He's about halfway through his painting and you, you think you have an idea of where he's going. You know, the, the, the shapes and the colors are just starting to come together. 
And I'm thinking, okay, Bob, I'm with you. I see where you're going with this. And then he'll pull out his paintbrush, dip it in black, and just wham, mark across the canvas. And I'm thinking, Bob, you just destroyed your painting. What are you doing, Bob? Um, and he'll do that. And I, but then he'll explain to you what he's, what he's doing. He'll say, okay, what I just did doesn't make any sense to you right now, but when I'm done, it's going to turn into a tree. Or it's going to turn into, you know, the coast or into a something. We'll, we'll say tree. Um, that big, what you think just destroyed my painting is actually going to turn into the centerpiece. And it's going to make sense when I'm done. You can't see that now, but, but you will. If Bob did not reveal to the viewer what he was doing, the viewer would not know what he's doing. You're, it's totally up to him to tell you what he's doing. Um, and in a similar way, that's what Jesus is doing with this parable that's in front of us this morning. Um, he's revealing to us something about the kingdom of God that unless he told us what he was doing, unless he told us, we could not come up with it ourselves. He's telling us a mystery, something that he has to reveal in order for um, his teaching to make sense to us. Um, only Jesus has access to the information that he's giving us. If you look in verse, uh, in verse 11 of chapter, thing, uh, of chapter 13, back up a little bit, um, the disciples ask him, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? The people don't understand it. And he says in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. That word secrets, elsewhere in the New Testament, is translated mysteries. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now when he says mysteries, he's not talking Sherlock Holmes mysteries. When we usually think of the word mysteries, we think you know, a problem that no one knows, but that one person is going to figure out. But when authors of the, in the New Testament use that word, what they mean is something that God alone knows that He's going to reveal to people, uh, something that, that His people could not um, come up with themselves. He has to reveal it to them and show it to them. That, that's a mystery. And so... This parable is going to reveal a mystery to us about the kingdom of God, something that we could not have guessed or come up with ourselves. And because that's true, we have to get this. His original audience, his disciples, when they heard the parables, when they heard these mysteries being revealed, it went against the grain of what they were expecting. Because these parables are mysteries, something that God has to show us in order for us to see, that means it's usually something that we did not expect, something that contradicts our expectations. Um, and in fact, that's what we'll find here. Um, in this parable of the mustard seed, Jesus is addressing two questions. The first question is, what will the kingdom of God look like when it comes on the earth? And the second, who's going to be in it? So what will it look like and who's going to be in it? Those are our two points. The, the first one is that the appearance of the kingdom is surprising. 
the appearance of the kingdom of God is surprising. Now, before we dive into this point, we have to, we have to get some kind of definition of what the kingdom of God is in the first place. What is the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew says, or the kingdom of God, as Mark and Luke say? Um, they actually never really tell us. The gospel writers don't come out and say, this is what we mean when we say kingdom of God, dot, 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 dot. That would save a lot of debate these days if they had told us that, but they don't. The closest that they come is when Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is how you should pray. Thy kingdom come. Okay, what does the kingdom look like? When the kingdom comes, what will it look like? Thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom, in other words, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is God's rule, God's authority being submitted to and being obeyed. It's the sphere, the area in which God's authority as king is recognized and obeyed. That's, that's the simplest definition of the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God means here. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. If you put yourself in the sandals of his original audience, that totally contradicted everything they were expecting to hear. And here's why. Here's why. Because his disciples and the rest of his audience, they knew the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 was, was well marked in their Bibles, okay? And here's what Daniel chapter 2 talks about, the kingdom of God. Join me there, please, in Daniel chapter 2. Um, here's what's happening in Daniel 2. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, the greatest nation on the planet at that time, He's dreaming again. And he doesn't know what his dreams mean. And so he, he calls for, for every interpreter in the nation to come and tell him what they mean, but, but no one can do it. And so Daniel, God's servant, comes and tells him that he can do it. Um, look in verse, in verse 31 of, of chapter 2. It says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and all the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then it's interpreted in verse 44 and 45. In verse 44, and in... And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all, the, all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw 
that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. That was what the nation of Israel expected God's kingdom to look like when it finally appeared in the world. That was a prophecy in Daniel 2 of what the kingdom would look like. All these kingdoms, he says, um, he sees this image, you know, gold, iron, clay, and this stone comes down and wrecks it and becomes a mighty mountain that's established forever. That's what God's people were looking for in the kingdom. They were looking for a, for a great, final, powerful appearance of the kingdom that would be that would destroy every other kingdom uh, in the world. Remember, Israel was under the thumb of, of, of Rome. They were oppressed and they were waiting for God's kingdom to come and set them free. And so they were looking for something that would, um, that would be a mighty, powerful manifestation of the kingdom. That's what they were waiting for. And notice... They're reading their Bibles correctly. Jesus doesn't scold them for expecting that. He doesn't say you're expecting the wrong thing for in, in expecting the kingdom to come that way. Notice what he says is, it's just going to look different than what you think. Um, rather than saying that the kingdom is going to appear on the scene of the world as a as a stone that comes and crushes every other kingdom and grows into a mountain, he says, rather it's going to be like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground. Um, a mustard seed now had the reputation of being the smallest seed available. Um, it was the smallest of all seeds. It was practically invisible. And then, get this, Jesus doesn't just say the kingdom of heaven when it comes is going to look like a mustard seed. He says it's going to look like a mustard seed that's underground. So it's small. It's humble. It doesn't look like anything. It's practically invisible. You can look for a mustard seed that's been planted and you won't find it. You can step on a mustard seed that's been planted and you won't know it. You can look at it and it doesn't look like anything. It's humble, it's, it's unspectacular, it's small. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like when it comes. Completely contradicts everything His disciples were expecting to hear. Um, George Ladd is a is a scholar, and he says this, writing about the kingdom of heaven. This is a long quote, but I couldn't say it better. He says, This is the mystery of the kingdom. Before the day of harvest, before the end of the age, God has entered into history in the person of Christ to work among men, to bring to them the life and blessings of His kingdom. But His kingdom comes humbly, unobtrusively, it comes to men as a Galilean carpenter went throughout the cities of Palestine preaching the gospel of the kingdom, delivering men from their bondage to the devil. It comes to men as his disciples went throughout the Galilean villages with the same messages. 
it comes to men today as disciples of Jesus still take the gospel of the kingdom into all the world. It comes quietly, humbly, without fire from heaven, without a blaze of glory, without a rending of the mountains or a cleaving of the skies. It comes like seed down to the earth. It can be rejected by hard hearts. It can be choked out. Its life can sometimes seem to wither and die, but it is the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Its appearance is surprising. This is not what God's people were expecting. Jesus contradicts, He clashes with their expectations of what His rule would look like. Now we need to understand that His disciples were not the only ones who may have been disappointed in hearing that. In 2012, you and I have expectations about what God's kingdom should look like that are confronted here in this parable. Um, Do you ever look around at the state of the church today, whether it be your local church or just the state of the church in America, the world, and say, God, what are you doing? I thought it was going to look different than this. Um, Families are under attack. Marriages are under attack. Our children are under attack. And sometimes it looks like we may be the last generations of Christians. It can feel like that. And we think, God, is this your kingdom? Is this, the, is this what it's supposed to look like? But Jesus says in this parable, Brother, sister, I told you it would be like this. The kingdom of God will look like a mustard seed that's been planted. It will look small. It will look unimpressive. You can look at it and it won't be impressive, but it's my kingdom. And it's growing and extending and it will take over the world, but sometimes it will look like nothing. Um, in my own youth ministry, you know, I want God's kingdom when it... I want God's kingdom to expand and grow in our youth group with dramatic conversions, with kids and families coming to know Jesus. I want to, you know, I I want to see things happen sometimes. I want to see dramatic things. And, And Jesus comes to me and says, You've got to fix your expectations. He says, The kingdom of heaven will probably not look like what you think. Rather, it may look like, Ben, like you sharing the gospel with a student, with a family, and years down the road when you're out of the picture, them with that seed coming to bear fruit. Um, in your own life, you may look at your own heart, your own, your own Christian testimony and think, I've been a Christian for 10, 15 years. One year, who knows? I'm supposed to be different than this by now. There's still so much unconquered territory. God, your kingdom does not look like it should in my life. And Jesus comes to you in this parable and says, you're right. It looks smaller than you expected. 
But it's my kingdom and it's growing and it will be victorious. And so the, God's kingdom is surprising. That should, that should be encouraging to us, brothers and sisters, when we look at our own churches, our families, our own lives. Remember the mustard seed. So the, the appearance of the kingdom is surprising. That's the first point. And the second point, the last point, is that the invitation into the kingdom is universal. The invitation into the kingdom is universal. Notice that God doesn't say the kingdom is going to stay like a mustard seed. He says it's going to appear like that, but eventually it will grow into what, what Jesus says is a, a tree. Or um, when Luke records this story, he says a great tree. Now, you, mustard seeds don't grow into trees. Jesus knew that. Mustard seeds grow into shrubs. I mean, they did grow up big, but here Jesus is saying mustard seed is going to grow into a tree. That alerts us that he's referring to something um, maybe outside of what we expect. Um, And so the final appearance of the kingdom is going to look greatly different than the initial appearance of the kingdom. And notice in verse 32, he says that it's going to grow into a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. That little detail is not just a kind of add-on, a little editorial um, add-on to this parable. That little reference about birds making nests in the tree is actually central to what this parable is about. And some people look at that little detail and, and, take, it, and take it different ways. You can either interpret that positively or negatively. For instance, some commentators look at that little detail and say, oh, birds of, birds of the air make their nests in its branches. And they refer back to an earlier parable, 13 verse 4, the parable of the sower. And earlier in that parable, the, the birds were, they were referred to, um, you know, they symbolized the devil and and the devil's servants coming and taking away the seed of the kingdom from, um, from the soil. And so there the birds represent the devil. Um, you know, bad reference, okay? But is that what Jesus means here? Some people say um, Jesus is saying that the kingdom, once it grows, once it reaches its final stages, that it's going that it's going to be populated by evil people with evil intentions that are going to be battling the kingdom. Now, the thing is, that's true. The Bible does teach that. Earlier, in an earlier parable, Jesus says the weeds grow up with the wheat. um, During the last days, um, unbelievers as well as believers will be within the walls of the church. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. That's the right theology, but wrong text. Rather, this little, this little note about the birds making their nest in the branches is a, is a very positive thing. He's referring back to three Old Testament passages. Um, this parable is rooted in the Old Testament. Um, 
And, uh, and here's where I invite you back to, back to the book of Daniel. And we're going to spend just a little bit of, of time here to, um, to find out what Jesus means here. Look at Daniel chapter 4 with me. Daniel chapter 4, um, beginning in verse 10. King Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming again. He calls Daniel again, and here's the, here's the vision. He says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and, it, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and then get this, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And so there, uh, Daniel goes on to interpret that dream and says, the dream, the tree that you see, the mighty tree, is you, Nebuchadnezzar, and all of the birds coming and making nests in the branches, that represents all of the nations of the world that you rule that are under the shade of your protection. Your reign, your authority extends over the, the known world. And so all the, the birds in the tree represent all the nations. He goes on, though, to say, And Nebuchadnezzar, because you are proud and arrogant and you don't believe me, I'm going to cut you down. He says, And the birds will scatter. You'll lose your reign. You'll lose your kingdom. Um, a second reference, you don't have to turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 31, we see the exact same language. But here God's talking about the nation of Assyria. Assyria was the greatest nation uh, in its time. It ruled over the known planet, and God uses the exact same language and says, Assyria, you're like a cedar of Lebanon, a great tree. And a cedar of Lebanon was like the Mercedes-Benz of trees back then. You don't get better than a Mercedes, than a, than a, than a a cedar. And he says, you're a mighty cedar and all the birds of the heavens come and make nests in your branches, but I'm about to cut you down. You're going to be judged because, because you don't rule right. Um, and then he says it to Pharaoh later on. And so that, that language is all over the books of Ezekiel and Daniel. What that language means and what this parable is teaching in Matthew 13 is that when the kingdom of God reaches after it grows, in its final stages, it's going, to be, it's going to be so big that all the nations of the world will be invited to it. It will provide protection, shade, an invitation into the kingdom. It won't just be a Jewish kingdom, in other words. It won't just look like the people of Israel. It's going to look like the nations of, of the world. Israel, Jew, Gentile, black, white, whatever, whatever tongue, whatever tribe, they're all going to be invited to the kingdom of heaven when it's, when it's grown. Um, this... This prophecy is fulfilled in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7. Listen to this. John writes, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, 
all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they're praising God. That's the final appearance of the kingdom. Is all nations under under the rule of God. Um, so the invitation to the kingdom then is universal. Its appearance is surprising, and the invitation is universal. Those two things, those those two points, are both things that were mysteries to Jesus's hearers. They could not have come up with them themselves. Jesus had to reveal what his kingdom would look like. And he says, it's not going to look like what you think, what, what you're expecting. And it's going to look a lot different. It's going to be populated by people that look different than you, that talk different than you, and, um, and that are different than you. But that is the final, that's what the kingdom is being planted for. Now we'll close by thinking about this. What, what does this parable have to say about Jesus? How does this parable point us to Jesus Christ? Because this parable, notice, it's not only about the kingdom. It's also about the king of the kingdom. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 17, this may seem like a dovetail, but follow me. It's not. In Ezekiel chapter 17, we find more language of, this, of, of a kingdom being compared to a tree that birds find their nest in. But listen to this. This is different than all the other references that we found. This is God himself speaking, and he says, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. I am the Lord, I have spoken, I will do it. Here's, what's, here's what God's saying there. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, Assyria, Egypt, all of those were like trees that the birds found, that the birds made their nest in, but none of them were worthy. None of them could live up to the task of ruling rightly. And so God finally says in Ezekiel 17, so I'll do it. I'll plant a tree and this tree will not fail. I'm not going to cut this tree down. I'm not going to judge this tree because it's finally going to rule rightly. Finally, under its branches, all the, all the birds of the heavens will come and make their nest. Jesus says, I'm going to establish a kingdom with a king who does it right. I'm not going to judge him like Nebuchadnezzar or Syria or Pharaoh. He's going to get it right. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true King of the kingdom who, just like a mustard seed, when He appeared on the face of world history, He was nothing to look at. He was humble. 
He didn't come with trumpets and glory. He was born to a teenage mother in the back country of Israel in a cattle stall. And like a mustard seed, no one looked at it and said, that's going to turn into something. The king of the kingdom came just like a mustard seed. But get this. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, the Scriptures say, is the king who, is, who deserves to rule over the nations of the world. He deserves the praise of the nations and He will get it. He won't be judged and cut down by God like all of the other evil kings will. Well then, if that's the case, then why is Jesus on a Friday afternoon outside of Jerusalem, why is He hanging on a cross and being judged by God like He had done things wrongly? If Jesus is the, is the King who did everything right, then why is He being punished by God like, like Nebuchadnezzar was? Why is He being cut down like Pharaoh was? Why is He being judged on the cross? The answer, brothers and sisters, is that the King of the Kingdom had to be cut down for you and for me to receive the invitation into the Kingdom. It was either us or it was the King who had to absorb the judgment that our sins deserve. And Jesus knew that even though He was the right King, if He did not jump in the place of His people, that His kingdom would be unpopulated because no one would be, would be deserving to enter it. No one could enter it. And so on the cross, Jesus, the true King of the kingdom, who deserves and will have the praise of the nations, absorbed your wrath and my wrath and the wrath of all of His people from every tribe and tongue and nation so that His kingdom will be populated by more people than you can possibly imagine. And so that you and I can, can be safe within the kingdom now and forever. That's why the true King received that judgment. I want to close by, by referencing Philippians 2. We're going to close with this. This is Paul speaking about Jesus. And I want you to notice how when Paul speaks about Jesus, he follows the path of the mustard seed from small appearance to mighty, powerful appearance. He says, "...have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for eyes to see and for ears to hear, that we may have eyes of faith that can see your kingdom working and operating even when the world looks and sees nothing. We pray that you would give us confidence that your kingdom, though it sometimes looks unimpressive and indeed absent and invisible. We pray that You would give us confidence through the promises of Your Word that Your kingdom will grow, that Your kingdom is established and will not fail, and that one day all the nations of the world will know that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would bring us safely home, that You would, uh, O King of the kingdom, protect us and help us to love You and to Um, show your rule in our own lives, in our own little corners of the world. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.